the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Bible says that for a specific reason. When, when we need to do some kind of surgery, what's the very first thing that has to be done? A very fine, detailed cut has to be made. And the word of God does that for us. It goes in, it cuts it open, and it allows the surgeon to do his work. And if we never take in the word of God, we don't allow that incision to be made. We don't allow it to cut into our hearts, cut into our thoughts, cut into our daily lives, everything that we've got going on. We need the word of God on a daily basis to cut through all that stuff so that God can do his work. Amen. So um, today, uh, my title, I really wish I had my title slide. That's okay. I had a picture of a sloth. Has anyone seen a sloth in there? Uh, yeah, okay. My title today is Sloths Aren't Cute. So we're going to turn first, first Peter 1, 13 through 16. If you would honor the word of God by standing for the reading of the text. First Peter 1, 13 through 16. I am reading in the English Standard Version, so you may or may not see the exact same words. But it says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you, as, as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." That's the standard. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would touch us today, that you would anoint our ears to hear your word. Lord, open our eyes to see what you want to say to us today, Lord Jesus. Use your word to cut that incision so that you can make your work done and complete in us, Jesus, that we may bring glory unto your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here's an interesting fact. I don't know if you knew this or not, but... On October 20th, it's coming up, October 20th is International Sloth Day. They get their own day. Wow, who knew? I didn't know that. I was uh, actually looking up a little bit of information on sloths and found out that they have their own international holiday. So that's pretty great. Go sloths. That's amazing. Well, they don't go very fast, but they go sloths. So <laughs> just recently, there's been kind of like this trend of uh, sloths gaining popularity for some reason. You're seeing um, a lot of little videos on the internet of sloths and what they are and what they do. And, and um, people seem to think they're cute. I don't agree with that. I, uh, I'm here today to stand on my opinion that sloths are not cute. They are ugly in my estimation, but they're part of my sermon today. So we're going to talk about sloths just for a minute, and then we're going to get more into the Word of God. But um, a couple facts about sloths. Number one, the world's slowest mammal. Did you know that they average only about 125 feet per day? 
their Fitbit is just going crazy. You need to walk. You need to move. It's the world's slowest mammal. Only 100, just on average, 125 feet a day. That means that some days they move a lot less than that. So, and some days they're overachievers and move maybe 130 feet or something like that. So they are very slow. How many of you have thought, my children are sloths? They're moving so slow. Don't they, need, don't they know we need to get out of this house and get to wherever we're going? But um, sloths are the world's slowest mammal. Number two, they are so sedentary that they actually have algae that grows on their fur. See, they're not cute. Told you. Yuck. Imagine if you moved so infrequently that algae grew on you. That is, well, it serves a purpose because they actually have camouflage then. But, but that's gross. So they have algae that grows on their fur. Their lives revolve around sleeping. Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> 15 to 20 hours a day of sleeping. The other thing that they do is eat. Eat and sleep. So... It's pretty busy. It's a pretty busy schedule. They, you know, they got to keep track of their schedule and make sure they get all 15 to 20 hours of sleep in and then the eating. So, yeah. But, you know, they don't need much other time because they rarely socialize. They are not very social creatures. They won't even really socialize with other sloths, mostly because it takes them forever to even get together. But <laughs> it's hard. You know, it's, it's really hard to socialize in that way. So they, they just keep to themselves. It's so much easier, a lot less movement necessary. And their diet consists of just uh, leaves, shoots, buds, and insects. Yummy. Their diet has very little nutritional value, so they actually get very little energy from what they eat. Oh, that makes sense. So those, those are a few things about sloths that I found were interesting. Now, if we were to compare our spiritual lives to that of the life of a sloth, it would look something like this. A slothful Christian would have slow spiritual growth, not moving very fast, and not really caring about it. Uh, they would probably live for Jesus for years and accomplish next to nothing. A slothful Christian. This person would only feed on easy nutrition, easy nourishment, whatever was nearby. That would be dangerous. This easy diet would have very little nutritional value. And so it would result in a lack of spiritual energy. No wonder they wouldn't accomplish much for Christ because they wouldn't have much to go on, would they? And this person would probably kind of keep their spiritual life to themselves, right? They're not breaking bread from house to house usually. They're not the ones wanting to get into conversation with others and share the goodness of God and what they read in the word that week and, and what they have had revealed to them. And they're never sharing and helping others to grow in Christ because they barely know how to do it themselves. They can't help other people. They, sh they sure can't help babies in Christ because they still are one. So the literal definition of slothful is lazy. Actually, when you look it up in the dictionary, that's it. Lazy. 
Wow. So what we want to avoid is spiritual laziness, spiritual slothfulness. Spiritual sloths aren't cute either. They're just not. They can be a problem. So there are three ways that spiritual slothfulness can occur. And I want to speak to that today. And I want us to open our hearts to the possibility that one of these may have attached itself to us and we want to root that out we want to cast it down in the name of Jesus remember in the song it said every high thing must come down if it is exalted above God it's a high thing and it's before God and that's breaking the first of the ten commandments and we have to get that out of the way before anything else can happen you're not going to see growth in your spiritual life unless you tear down the things that have exalted themselves against the name of Jesus so the first thing that could occur um, that would make spiritual slothfulness occur is ignorance. Now I'm not talking about bless your heart kind of ignorance. I'm talking about ignorance that happens naturally. A lack of knowledge. If somebody is ignorant, they are lacking in knowledge. And the second one, and we're going to, we're going to expand on each of, each of these, the second one is cowardice, fears, insecurities that keep you from doing something. And then the third one is immaturity, being slothful by choice. So let's look at ignorance first. Ignorance, the lack of knowledge in our setting, the lack of knowledge of the word of God. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest, meaning a minister, to me. This is God speaking. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Long-lasting results for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. It's destructive to have no knowledge. Without knowledge of God's word, I can't possibly have an understanding of his principles. So therefore, I can't apply what I don't know. So if I don't live the principles of God's word just in my daily life and in my business life and, and everything outside of church, I'm not going to reap the benefits of living God's principles. I cannot apply what I don't know. It's damaging. I also can't have hope in the promises of God. I can't have peace if I don't know where to place my trust. God is where we place our trust. In him only do we trust. That we can be assured of. That we can stand on. That's a, a firm foundation that we can stand strong on unless we're ignorant. I can't trust something I don't even know. And... Ignorance, with, with ignorance, I, have, I can't have salvation even. That seems so basic in Christianity, but I can't even have salvation because I cannot obey what I don't know. If you have never been told to not take a cookie out of the cookie jar, you won't know that you're not supposed to, right? You'll be drawn to the thing you want. And in salvation, with salvation, you cannot act unless you first hear the word of God and, first you, and, and until you first had the knowledge of what you have to do to come to salvation. If you have never been told that repentance matters, that the first thing you have to do is believe on God and turn from sin, if you don't know that, you're just going to continue in your life of sin. Repentance is a 
full turnaround. You have to stop the direction you're going and go the other direction towards salvation. But if you don't know that, you're not going to do it. It's destructive to be ignorant. But I can't possibly know everything, right? Can't possibly. This brain is only so big. I can only put so much into it. I can only retain so much, right? I don't know. I think God has created a better brain than we sometimes think we have. But that is just an excuse. God expects us to act even when we have a lack of knowledge. He expects action, not slothfulness. He expects us to act upon what we do know. If you've only started on this journey of Christianity, if you've only started reading the word of God, if you've only started studying and learning and growing, just baby steps right now, you have something You have something to act upon. If you only know that the first thing to do is repent, you need to do it. It's action that God is requiring. We're supposed to hear his voice and we're supposed to respond. So God expects us to act even when we don't have knowledge. God will give grace to cover what we lack, but he is looking for responsible disciples that do their part. It's a relationship. In fact, we can ask for knowledge if we don't have it. Psalm 1, one I'm sorry, Psalm 119.66 says, Lord, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Teach it to me. I have a lack. So where should I get it from? Well, the best place. God's word. And We can study, so we can ask and we can study the word of God. We are fortunate to to live in a free nation where we have access 24-7 to the word of God with no fear of being punished for that. We have no excuse. It's available. So we can study the word of God. And in fact, he says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study That's a command. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or applying the word of truth. You can rightly apply the word of truth if you study it and know it, have that knowledge, then your action will be sure and true. So ignorance, ignorance is not something that we want to hold us back, to slow us down. We don't want to be slothful in ignorance. And then the second point was cowardice. Cowardice. We all have a bad thought in our mind. When we think somebody is a coward, it's, it's a distasteful thing, isn't it? Like, oh, wow, that was a cowardly thing to do. We don't be like, he's a coward. One of the best things about him is he's, he's such a coward. It's so awesome. I want to be a coward just like him. No, we don't do that. We're like, he seems to be a bit of a coward. Or, wow, what a cowardly thing to do. So cowardice never has a positive connotation. It never does. And there's reason for that. Cowardice is letting fear and insecurity rule us. That is when the cowardice, the fear is 
directing our steps. Oh, that's against the word of God because what is supposed to direct our steps? The fear of the Lord is supposed to direct our steps. Our, our knowledge of the word of God is supposed to direct our steps. Our actions are supposed to be based on the principles of God's word, not on what our feelings are saying to us, not on a, what our insecurities are keeping us back from. There is a parable that Jesus uh, taught and I'm pretty sure probably everyone has heard this parable, the parable of the talents, where a businessman had servants, and he, he uh, took three of his servants, and he gave them each something. One man, he gave ten talents. One man, he gave five talents. One man, he gave one talent. And he said, I'm going on a journey. I'll be back. I don't know when. So an undetermined amount of time. And, uh, but when I come back, I want to see what you've done with what I gave you. Sound familiar? And so the, the uh, excuse me. Singing and then preaching is hard on the throat. So he, uh, he went on his journey, and he came back, and I don't know how long it was, but uh, he was expecting something to be done. Jesus has gone and is expecting something to be done while he's gone. And when he comes back, he's looking for a church that has done something for him. And these three servants, the one with ten, he took the ten talents, and he invested, and he used it, and he, and he saw it double. And then the other, uh, the other man, the five talents, same thing. He, he took it and invested it. And you notice it didn't matter that the one had more to begin with. They both were wise servants. They both did exactly what their uh, master was hoping they would do. So they may have started on different playing fields, but they both accomplished exactly what their master wanted them to accomplish. And they both were re were rewarded with the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have done well. I am pleased. But the one servant, <coughs> he didn't do so well. He didn't do well at all, <laughs> actually. He was a coward. Because what he did was he took the one talent and he went and found a very safe place and he buried it and he pretended like it wasn't even there and he didn't do anything with it. <coughs> he buried it and left it until the master came back. And the master said, what did you do with your talent? And he said, well, in Matthew 25, he said, master, I knew that you were a hard man, <coughs> reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. He acted in fear. He was a coward. He didn't do anything. His cowardice caused him to be lazy. He didn't do anything. There was no action. So the man that was given only one talent let fear control him, rule his, 
his actions. He gave fear as his reason for not doing anything with it. This is the thing about fear. Fear paralyzes those who even have knowledge. You may know the word of God. You may have already studied to show yourself approved. You may have already taken in what you could. You may have expanded on it and, and learned and grown to a certain extent, but you may have Satan whispering fear in your ear and the words to come back at is, get thee behind me, Satan. That fear is not to be part of my life. Sorry, the water is good. <coughs> hey, more drink. Have more water. Yeah, have more water. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> but fear is a tool of the enemy. He thwarts the work of the kingdom with fear. We let it rule our hearts and our minds. <coughs> he whispers it. He presents it. He makes sure that we see things that cause us to be fearful. Do yourself a favor and turn it off. Do yourself a favor and cut off those things that cause you to have fear. Are you listening to things that give you fear? Are you obsessed with the news? Yeah, the news is not good these days, is it? You know what? It never was. It never was. Sin has been on this earth for since the beginning of time after the garden sin has caused bad news ever since we feel like oh news is so bad nowadays yes it is but it's no worse than it ever was god is still on the throne even though that news is bad things are happening things that we know about now that we never knew before it's much more of a global world than it used to be. We're hearing about things that we would never have heard about. They still happened. <coughs> so we can't let that fear paralyze us from spiritual growth. Fear causes us to look for excuses. We're ashamed of our fear a lot of time. That's a good way to know that it came from the enemy because he's the accuser. He's the one that brings shame. He's the one that brings condemnation. He wants us to be bound by shame. If you feel shamed, you need to bring that shame to the cross and leave it there because it's not from God. The Holy Spirit convicts us. It doesn't shame us. Shame is, is a, a, like a mocking type of conviction. It's not saying, hey, you have something to change and I can help you. It's instead saying, wow, what a screw up you are. Wow, look at you. Look at you. Who could love you like that? That's shame. But the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, I see where you are. I see how dirty you've let your life become, but I love you, and I can fix that. I can fix that. But our fear sometimes will keep us from letting the Holy Ghost draw us in and fix those things. Oh, let that not be us today. Let us be open to the working of the Holy Ghost in our lives, to the conviction of the Holy Ghost, saying you have things to change and you'll be so much better for it. We don't know what it will look like down the road. That's called faith, steps of faith. When God starts speaking to you and saying, here's something and here's something and here's something. I want you to rethink this. I want you to 
to change that. I want you to throw this out. I want you to start doing this. That's his love working on our lives to make us more complete than we've ever been before. We're broken in and of ourselves. Sin did that to us. But God in his mercy wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to make new that which is broken. And he can do it unless you choose to not let him. That's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit is for. Not for shame, but for change. I want to be changed by his spirit. I think I can put that down for a second. <laughs> so the servant, the one servant who was slothful, he was called wicked and slothful, not because of his fear. The master did not say it was because of his fear. It was because his, of his lack of action. So if anything should convict us, it shouldn't be the fact that we might feel fear. It should be that we refuse to act because of our fear. Here's some actions that are expected of us. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. We tend to think that fear can just run in and grab whatever it wants and we have nothing to say about it. We can't do a thing about it. Here's fear. I feel fear. I can't do a thing about it. I'm paralyzed by it. No, 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 no. The word of God says that you can do something about it right in that instant. It says, let not. Refuse to let your heart be troubled. As soon as that fear comes, you have to reject it. You can cast it out in the name of Jesus. That's the word that says you can do that. Matthew 6, 34 says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's something you choose to do. If you struggle with anxiety, I understand. That's something humans deal with. But you don't have to deal with it in the way of letting it rule your life. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So you can take that fear, you can crunch it up in a, a paper wad, and you can say, here, God, take that. It's garbage. I don't need it in my life. Take it. I will give it to you. Those are actions. Those are actions. Cowardice will try to keep you from acting. Act anyways. Joshua, remember Joshua? He was taking over from Moses. He was the next man. And wow, what huge shoes to fill, fill right? Moses was amazing. He was an amazing leader. He was humble. The Bible says he was the meekest man to ever live. Wow, what a compliment. So Joshua had to follow up with this. And God did not tell Joshua to be Moses. He didn't say, okay, now, when he was commissioning Joshua, because the Lord met with Joshua and commissioned him. He didn't say, okay, now here, here's the deal. Moses was an amazing leader. So this is how he was successful. You have to do the same thing. God knew he couldn't. Joshua was a man of war, completely different personality, completely different talents, completely different demeanor and personality, and, and he had been raised completely different. Moses was raised in the palace. He was a prince. Joshua was raised on the battlefield in the wilderness. Night and day different. But this is Joshua's commission to lead God's people. Joshua 1 Verse 6, God said, be strong and of good courage. 
the very next verse, he says again, only be thou strong and very courageous. A couple verses down, verse nine. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be dismayed. He was speaking to the fear he knew Joshua would have on the, of the hard things that were in front of him. We all have hard things in front of us. Some we know are coming, some we don't. But God says, be strong. Be strong and of good courage. The strength comes from him. So when he says, be strong, you know that he's saying, here it is. Be strong. Here's the strength. I'm giving it to you. You just have to be strong. Be in me. Abide in him and he will abide in you. Only be strong and very courageous. And that fear has to go because it cannot, it cannot uh, live together. It cannot cohabitate. Cowards hide. Cowards reject action. God never intended for fear and insecurity to rule us. We have to choose action. Or we will be spiritual sloths, cowards. And the third thing, immaturity. This one's a little bit difficult because nobody wants to be called immature. Uh, we like to call each other immature, but we don't like to call ourselves immature. And aren't we all immature? Yes, because the Bible says that until we reach the other side, we're not complete. So that means we all have immaturities. Nobody is completely mature because that it's not all the way done yet. Until we stand in the presence of Almighty God, it has not been completed. He's still working on us. His work is still being accomplished. But immaturity is being slothful by choice. This is dangerous. The fear comes from the outside. It comes upon us. But the immaturity, that's slothfulness by choice. Sometimes immature Christians have heard a lot of God's word. Some of them have grown up on the pews. Some of them have been immersed in it. And they're slothful by choice. They're immature. So if you've overcome the lack of knowledge, and if you're not fearful, but you're still slothful, you're immature. Oh, that sounded horrible. But it's true. The book of Proverbs pays a lot of attention to the slothful or the sluggard or the fool. And it, it's all the same. All three of those. It points out exactly who they are, what they are, and why they are. <coughs> Solom Solomon gives a preface at the beginning of his book in case we weren't sure what his purpose of in writing Proverbs. If you will turn to Proverbs 1. And in verse 2, verses 2 through 7 say, here's the point. Here's the point of Proverbs, okay? And he said it at the beginning so that you would know, in case you're wondering. Proverbs, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Know, to know. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, what is equity? It's an evenness. It's uprightness. It's balance. It's smoothness. Equity. To give subtlety, which means shrewdness or prudence. 
making the right decision. To the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation. The words of the wise and their dark sayings, or in other words, things that not easily seen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon made sure that we understood, you know, what this book was going to be about. Proverbs. Have you read Proverbs? If you've never read the book of Proverbs, I encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. It's really super simple because um, it uh, has 31 chapters in it, which is very convenient because a lot of our months have 31 days in them. So you could read a proverb a day and uh, you could complete the whole book of Proverbs in the month. When I was growing up, uh, we, had, we had a Christian school that I was uh, attending and um, <clears throat> our pastor taught a devotion every single morning to the entire school and the devotion was the book of Proverbs. He took a proverb a day and not just one a day. Sometimes he stretched it. He wasn't really on a particular time frame. But he would teach from Proverbs. And he would dissect it. And break it down. And help us to understand. And we learned Proverbs every single day. I was in that school for eight years. Proverbs is written on my heart. And I know for a fact from experience. That that, that teaching has developed me into somebody I wouldn't have been otherwise. I constantly have right choices flood my mind because that book says, oh, no, no, that's foolish. Don't do that. Oh, that's a bad decision. And not that I never make bad decisions, but there's always that proverb there saying, hey, 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 whoa, back up. Remember? Remember the words that God spoke? Remember what you learned? So if you feel like you're not a wise person, God has wisdom for you in the book of Proverbs where you can, you can soak that in. And you can uh, have, the, have the knowledge. It'll keep you from fear. And it will mature you. So those three things will keep us from being slothful. The piano can come if, if, uh, if they're ready. The church at Corinth, and we were talking about this this morning. Well, the piano can come. Okay, the pianist, yeah. If that thing starts moving, we're all going to be. <laughs> but the church at Corinth, have you read First and Second Corinthians? First and Second Corinthians are interesting. Um, the Corinthian epistles are the largest letters written to one of the churches. And Paul had to deal with a lot of stuff that he felt they should have already matured beyond. This was one of the established churches. This wasn't one of the baby churches. This is one of the established churches at that time. And he was performing the role of pastor, bishop, to them. Now, he couldn't always go and talk to them directly, so he wrote. And... <clears throat> He actually sounds a little bit irritated with them sometimes. And if you ever get a chance to study the backstory of the Corinthian church and find out why he was addressing some of the things he addressed, it's fascinating and it will open your eyes to what those teachings are for and how you can apply them to you. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, he said, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, 
I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Wow. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk instead of solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? He said that to them. As their spiritual leader, Paul knew it was dangerous for them to be spiritual sloths. It was dangerous for them to continue in spiritual immaturity. They were being slothful by choice. They were choosing to not grow. And there's times that we're all guilty of that. We're, we don't grow because it's comfortable where we're, we're at. I, I like it the way it is right now. This is great. If I could just stay right here, come to church on Sunday, enjoy the presence of God, go home and do my thing. I'm not doing anything bad, right? But you're living like an infant. You're living like a sloth. No movement, no motion, just eating and sleeping. They were choosing not to grow. I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want God to say, you're choosing not to grow. God has given us the perfect incubation system where we can grow. There is nothing, nothing that says we can't grow unless we choose not to. Paul refused to enable them to continue in their desires to act like infants. He spoke to them directly and pointed out what they were doing wrong and what would fix the issues. We want God to do that to us. We need the Holy Spirit moving and working in us on a daily basis. You need God's presence with you 24-7. You have to seek that out. You have to find a place to pray each day and say, God, I don't want to be spiritually immature. This is another day that I can grow. I want to be like you, Jesus. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to take action. When I was growing, I grew really, really fast. I mean, physically growing. I grew really fast. Between the ages of 10 and 12, I shot up. I grew so fast. By 12, I was exactly as, as tall as I am now. And I remember I grew so fast that my legs ached. I could feel them aching. I would lay in bed at night, and they would just be like, Ugh. well, actually, they were like, and man, it was, it was painful. Not the worst pain I've ever had, but it was painful and uncomfortable. And at that moment, I wished it would go away. I didn't want it. And when it wasn't happening, I was like, oh, that's nice. Look how tall I am. I liked being tall. I wanted to be taller, but... And so I liked the result, but I didn't like the process. And that's where our human nature, our sinful nature takes over sometimes. We don't like the process. We don't like having pastor preach the word to us and have it convict us. It doesn't feel good. We don't like spending time each day in, in the word and praying and having the Lord say, Hey, okay, you're serious about this? I've got something for you, but you have to do something. You have to act. So growing is painful but we should want to grow because it brings him glory. 
Does everyone in here want to bring glory to God? I think so. Nobody here is a person that, that says, oh, whatever. In your heart, you want God to be glorified because you do love him, right? You want him to be glorified. And he can do many things through you, but it takes action on your part. Would you stand with me today? Lord Jesus, I thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us the ability to have knowledge of you. Thank you, Jesus, that we have the ability to cast down fear. Thank you, Jesus, that we have the, the ability to choose you, God. But I pray, God, that you would touch this congregation here today, Lord. Touch us each individually. I pray, Jesus, that you would move on our hearts, move on our minds, God. Help us, Lord, to seek after you, to act, to not sleep, to not be slothful in our Christianity. But, God, that we might move toward you, ever reaching towards that prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Lord, that someday we will be at, in front of you and you'll say, well done thou good and thou faithful servant enter into the joy of my kingdom Jesus I pray God that you would convict us that you would move us Lord thank you Jesus that you're moving on us right now if you want to come and pray at this altar I invite you to come up here and spend some time with the Lord this morning I encourage you to open your hearts to him and say and be very honest and say Lord show me Show me. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Show me what I'm supposed to get rid of. Show me the action I'm supposed to take. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would move on our hearts. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, he expects us to act even when it would be easier to sit. Allow yourself to be challenged by the word of God. Meditate on his word. Let it become the very essence of who we are. Lord, help me to challenge myself to make new commitment each day, Lord. I want to be your church in action. I want to be not slothful in your business, Jesus. I want to be acting on your behalf, working for your kingdom. Jesus, Jesus, thank you, Lord.